What is up, Thrive Tribe? We are here with an absolute fucking legend. And I'm extremely grateful for this opportunity to connect with Wiz, also known as Matthew Buckley, but really known by his fighter pilot name of Wiz. And I don't really feel like I can give you a worthy introduction. So I'd love for you to just spend a few minutes kind of bringing us yeah. through your journey up till now a little bit. And yeah. then obviously we'll dive much deeper. You got it, man. Don't ever ask a Navy fighter pilot to introduce himself. I don't think you guys have enough bandwidth on the computer. <laughs> I'm just going to keep going. Well, I appreciate it, bro. Thanks for having me, man. God moment meeting you uh, recently. But uh, my name is Matthew Buckley. Like you said, my call sign's Wiz. Uh, and I flew fighter jets for the Navy, the U.S. Navy, for about 15 years. Graduated from the Navy Fighter Weapons School, which is a big word for Top Gun. Right. The unofficial word we call it Top Gun, but it's called the Navy Fighter Weapons School. And then uh, I flew about 44 uh, combat sorties over southern Iraq off of uh, the Abraham Lincoln and the USS Kitty Hawk. Uh, back in the day, Irish Catholic kid from uh, South Jersey, South Philadelphia, um, you know, typical Irish Catholic family type of thing. I broke the mold though. That, everybody in my family, I think more or less went to Villanova, right? They were kind of that, that, and I broke, I went to school down here in Florida. Always, uh, so we were raised on the Jersey shore, not the MTV cheesy one, but like the real kind of Jersey shore. And my parents, uh, Service above self, right? You know, one, 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 do good to other. Always service above self. Lived on the beach, loved the ocean, loved airplanes. So I, I always knew at a young age I wanted to fly jets off of aircraft carriers for the Navy. So short story long, graduated from college, Jacksonville University, uh, up in Jacksonville. And I guess the Navy was asleep that day. I lucked out and got aviation. And then in aviation, the Navy's got what? They got a lot of helicopters. They got props. And they got jets. So you got to really bust your ass to, to get jets. And then in jets, they got a lot of jets. They got anti-submarine jets, you know, tankers, jammers, fighter jets. So I had to try even harder and got into jets there. Um, so I had a great time uh, as, as a Navy pilot. And then in 2000, uh, just like a lemming, I followed all the other dudes out the door to go be a rich airline pilot, right? Uh, and I won the lottery in 2000. So the, the lottery was going to be a rich airline pilot and still flying fighters in the reserves. So I got a job flying F-18 Hornets for the, for the Navy reserve out of Naval air station, Fort Worth in Texas. Uh, and I got my airline job, man. And, uh, that morning, September 11th, 2001 was my first flight as a pilot for American airlines. That morning I was sitting there packing and my wife comes in. My son, Matthew was, uh, eight months old. So she, She's, she looks like she's seen a ghost. She's like, you better come look at the TV. I'm playing hit the World Trade Center. And I'm like, I'm packing, you know, somebody in bad weather, you know, small airplane. And she didn't say a word. She just gave me that look. I'm like, so I went out there and I saw probably what everybody else saw. Beautiful day in New York City, not a cloud in the sky, big hole, fire. And as I'm standing there going through my mental aviation checklist of how that happened, the next plane hit and that was it. I knew we were under attack immediately. It just, and I still have the uh, uniform up in my place in plastic, my American airlines uniform, still in plastic. I ran into the closet, pushed it out of the way, threw my flight suit on, put my boots on at an old 89 Porsche. I think I broke the land speed record getting out to the Naval air station, got out there just as they closed it, went to a combat posture 
And uh, I made it out there with one of my other squadron mates, and we called down to maintenance and said, Chief, what do we got? They said, we got four jets. I said, get them ready, fuel them. Uh, next door was the Air Force, uh, was an Air Force fighter squadron. They were tied into NORAD, right? Because the Air Force is kind of like your rich brother, overachiever. So they called. They're like, dude, who's, who's here? I'm like, you got whiz and gruff. They're like, get over here. We got four of us. So we went into their command post, and two Navy guys and four Air Force fighter guys were all part-time airline guys. It was like Lexington and Concord. We're planning to get airborne. And uh, literally on the, on the TVs around the camp, command post, the Pentagon gets hit. I mean, we're like, what the fuck, man? It was surreal. It was, it was surreal. So the air, those guys got armed and ready to go first. So they got airborne. Gruff and I went down to the end of the runway and sat there, you know, engines running, waiting for them to land. But uh, short story long, a uh, very brief airline career. So did you ever actually fly for America? Uh, so here's the funny part. So uh, it's not funny, but here's the interesting part is uh, three days later, I think it was. Remember each day after 9-11, they were trying to open the airspace. Like this day, oh, now we'll get it open. And, and they didn't. Well, like September 13th or 14th, I forget which day it was, Gruff and I were sitting alert again, right? Because it was no fly zone over America. And I got scram We got scrambled. There was an airborne White House over Crawford, like President Bush's ranch. They had like one of those airborne, you know, doomsday planes. And some guys turned out being like some granddad with his grandson. Like, hey, we think the airspace is open. This dude got airborne. And we got, we didn't know that's what it was, but we got scrambled. So we take off at a Naval Air Station, Fort Worth, and I'm haul, I'm supersonic over America. You're not supposed to go supersonic over America. Uh, you know, because it breaks windows, you know, in the desert you can or off the coast, but I'm over central Texas, man. Boom, supersonic. And I'm looking out of my wingtips, live missiles in my nose. I got live bullets. It was, it, it was, it's surreal, right? I'm over the United States of America flying a combat sortie. Short story long, we end up intercepting. I'm hauling ass, right? This guy's doing like 80 miles an hour. I'm doing like supersonic. I was like a, a How dog. How supersonic? 700 miles an hour plus. Wow. Yeah, close to maybe a thousand miles an hour. So I was like a dog on the kitchen floor, man, trying to slow down, right? So I, you know, I fly past him. I can't even, my landing speed's about 150 knots. He's at 80. So he finally gets the message and he ends up landing in a grass strip. I bring this up because I, we go back to Fort Worth. There's not another airplane airborne in America, except like a couple guys like me. So I fly over DFW airport, literally like right over it at a hundred feet. And it looked like you know, a Charlton Heston movie, the day time stood still airliners everywhere. And uh, I land and I get in the ready room, you know, cause the ready room's like the living room of the fighter squadron. And everybody's like, Oh, what happened? So I'm briefing the story of intercepting this guy. My phone rings and it's like, hi, this is Steve from crew scheduling. You know, you have your first trip tomorrow. I thought it was a joke at first. I thought it was one of the you know guys in the squadron like, Hey man. And I'm like, yeah, whatever, dude. And he's like, what do you, are you not coming tomorrow? If you refuse your trip, you're going to get fired. I'm like, dude, do you have a TV where you, are you on earth? And I'm like, all right, I'll be there. So I show up to DFW and we're one of the only airliners that flies that day going from DFW to Miami. And guess who it was full of? It, I mean, the plane was almost empty, but it had about like 30 American airlines, people who were Miami based who were, have been stuck in Dallas. Mm -hmm. So we're flying down there. And the captain's like, dude, I can't believe you show, you know, showed up. But he's like, I don't think I'm going to have a job. But he's like, yeah, I remember in the 90s, I got furloughed. I was on a trip and I got furloughed and they didn't even give me a ride home. I, I knew the gate agent and, you know, she let me on the next plane home. But can you believe the company would do that? I'm like, wow, it sucks. I get to like the double tree outside of Miami International. 
and I'm checking into my room and the captain comes up to me. He's like, that was, that was crew scheduling. You're furloughed and I need to take your ID. <laughs> I'm like, perfect. So they furloughed me on the road. So I flew one trip for American Airlines and then they, uh, I lost my job. So, uh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. In the blink of an eye, lost my pension, healthcare, everything, you know, and what little money I had saved as a, in the Navy, I used to put down on our first house in Dallas. So I got, got pretty creative, man. Up until that point, something that had been a hobby of mine, just trading. I had taught myself how to trade options and stuff like that in the background. Now I started to do full time uh, because now I needed to pay the mortgage and stuff like that. Short story longer, I popped up on the radar of uh, one of the largest options trading firms in the world headquartered in Chicago. And they're like, what are you doing? I'm like, well, I just kind of apply what I learned as a fighter pilot to trading because technically trading is a form of combat, right? Somebody's going to win and somebody's going to get their ass smoked. Which one do you want to be? And they're like, come up and kind of show what you do. And that's when I kind of found out that there isn't, no offense to anybody up there, there's no such thing as the smart money. We are, this. everybody is the smart money. I, I've seen the border. I've seen the so-called smart people and they, they ain't, they ain't that smart. Trust me. So uh, spent a couple of years up in Chicago uh, helping run this multi-billion dollar trading firm. But I got to be honest with you, no offense to anybody from Chicago, but uh, you can keep it. I'm a Navy guy. I'm a beach guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Walking from the train station, Union Station to the Board of Trade in February is like a survival situation. You're like stepping over dead bodies and stealing scarves, man. It's miserable. So my my beautiful bride Susie's from uh, from uh, God's Waiting Room, Boca Raton, and I, after dragging her to some kind of crappy Navy bases, I'm like, I'll, I'm going to get you home. So I said, you know what? I can do this on my own. So we moved down to Boca and I started uh, what's called Top Gun Options, big marketing department. Top Gun Options about 2009, I think it was. And I teach people of all, everybody, how to trade, how to trade options. But about three, four years ago, uh, I'd lost, uh, uh, well, one of my best friends, a groomsman in my wedding, Eric Swenson, Swede, uh, Marine Hornet guy. Uh, beautiful bride, five kids, put a bullet in his head. And I, I had lost a couple other buddies due to suicide as well. So after doing kind of good in the market, I said, you know what, man, I got to put the ladder down. This is just, this is insanity. About 22 veterans a day kill themselves, one per hour, man, essentially kill themselves. And uh, it was heartbreaking to me. So John F. Kennedy or the Bible, one of the things it's like to, to whom much is given, much is required. Right. So I started what was called the Top Gun Fighter Foundation back then to uh, to, to 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 do whatever I to, I was throwing shit against the wall. How do you keep vets from killing themselves? And then God ended up putting me in touch uh, uh, with the medicine. The medicine called to me. And then, man, I, I have never looked back uh, and the medicines changed my life. So that's my short intro since you get you allowed me to do it that got me from when the earth cooled to sitting here today with uh with the medicine i appreciate you sharing all that yeah probably the last time i allow a former military vet to introduce <laughs> themselves i think that's fair to say exactly i think that's fair to say allow but, myself to introduce myself yeah. but i what i want to mention um and you took us on this journey to your connection and experience with the medicine mm -hmm. which for you was ibogaine i believe and you've had some other ones um, uh since then but before we get into that i want to just let everyone who's watching and listening know how we met which was literally 
Four days ago, yeah. um, in Miami, there's something called 420 Yoga every single week on Saturdays at Club Space. Yeah. And this particular Saturday was being followed up by a psychedelic panel where mm -hmm. there was different people who are in the psychedelic space talking about different breakthrough therapies and stuff like that. And Wiz got up after that conversation, after that panel was complete and shared his story very briefly. And I was just absolutely moved and touched by her story because I feel very connected to uh, supporting veterans. I appreciate that. With their That's integration, because good. to be honest, I just think a majority of Americans fail to realize that it's your sacrifice, it's your commitment, it's your heroicism that allows us to experience all the freedoms that we do. I appreciate that. That's on a cool. daily basis. And we've almost vilified the men and women who who are in the armed services. And Correct. it's kind of a shame. Not even, uh, you're right, vilified, but even if it's not vilified, it's forgotten about, right? Whether it's the 22 veterans a day that kill themselves or the last survey I saw, about 60,000 homeless veterans in this country, just on, I mean, out on the streets, which is, it's, it's just an absolute disgrace and it breaks my heart. Um, so yeah, that was definitely a God moment. Cause I, you know, I saw, I saw club space advertise a psychedelic panel and I told, I said, Susie, we should go to this. She's like club space during the day. I'm like, yeah, exactly. What are, what? Uh, and then the 420 beforehand was funny, but the, the, the panel, uh, was good. I, I appreciated it and, and the folks who spoke, but uh, I was kind of jumping out of my skin uh, to say something because, and, and not, not that they forgot about veterans, but kind of like you just said, we, we, we kind of, we get lulled into this sense of security. Me, when I was in the Navy, getting to go to Pakistan or Oman or Kuwait or Saudi Arabia to see other countries, man, we have it so good in this country. We have not seen bad, really. You know, we, 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 we are so blessed. Uh, and I pray that never, nothing ever bad happens and everything ends up being fine. Uh, but you're right. If, if we kind of forget about the veterans until they're needed, right. It's almost like a, a guard dog or an attack dog. You guys sleep, you know, you sleep outside, you know, we you're not allowed in the house type of thing. You're, you're going to get on the furniture and that's, that's just not a good, that's not a good place to be, especially yeah. now with the China, with Russia, Iran. I mean, these folks, they're, they're paying attention to, to everything that's going on in this country. And uh, a lot of the stuff that's going on in this country, I'd let, if I, if I worked for Putin or Xi, I'd be like, I'd take responsibility for that, but we're kind of doing it to ourselves. We're this, I'm sure we'll get into it, but these, these vessels, man, this is separation. This is ego. This thing, if we could all see each other for a soul, man, there wouldn't be any homeless people or hunger or war. So that's why I got up at the end of that event was because of uh, that Thich Nhat Hanh quote mm. uh, about veterans being the light at the tip of the candle. If we can kind of show that we can heal and you, we, you don't have to use violence to settle shit, maybe people will, will, will tune up a little bit and listen, right? I, I know more special than anybody else, but maybe as a result of that military service, somebody's going to listen to me for an extra five minutes, I'll take it, right? Yeah. So that's... That was cool meeting you. You said something that really resonated with me. I think in one of the videos I watched, you mentioned that the military does a great job of preparing you for combat, but a really shitty job of 
transitioning you back to being a human being once Correct. you return. Correct. They, they, so if you and I were going into combat and you got killed, I go, I'll mourn him later. Press on with the mission. Well, guess what? You really don't get a chance to mourn you later. That just becomes another little box that I put down here, right? They call it compartmentalization. As an aviator, I have to compartmentalize, right? Before I go flying, by an argument with the wife or what else. No, no, no. You have to shut everything out. You actually have to deprogram from being a human. So they, you're right. They spend a ton of money training you to be a killer. And then they're like, hey, here's your papers. Get out. So a dude that just was kicking down doors in Afghanistan months ago is now walking around downtown Miami. And then we're surprised that she or he is having a problem integrating into society. We are failing our veterans and it's awful. It's awful. There are some, I'm sure there are decent people at the VA. My experience has been an absolute nightmare. When, when a government organization gets that big and so much of a bureaucracy, it ends up being a jobs program and they actually are hurting the people that they're trying to help. It's a disgrace. That's why foundations like mine ha have stood up because we're failing. We're failing. So I'm curious to know, like, what does that integration process actually look like? Does when you, when you end your stint in the military, whether it's the army, the air force, the Navy, in your case, mm -hmm. when you come back to America, what, systems are set up for you to help integrate if any so i'd obviously date myself because i separated in 2000 hopefully that's gotten a lot better but it's still falling short right we had tabs class like transition assistance program and it was awful it was taught by a government civil servant who didn't want to be teaching the, it was like this it was a ridiculous it, it's your just you can you've been to the DMV you can picture what it would be like it would be you'd rather get your teeth drilled it had no real world practical value again hopefully some of that's good and it, it, they fixed it based on feedback but I, I I have no reason to believe that's the case especially based on all the veterans foundations and charities that have had to stand up to kind of step in to do that um, to be honest with you if, if you want anything done in this country privatize it Right. Mm -hmm. If the VA could wake up or the DOD and actually say, you know what, we suck at this. Let's transition this to people who actually are getting results. We'd see a, a ton of different work. Yeah. And, and that's uh, hopefully that's where we're going with the medicine as well, with the DOD starting to wake up and the VA. Yeah. For those who don't know, can you just explain a little bit the VA, the DOD, what are their yeah. roles supposed to entail? Yeah. So the Department of Defense is, that's the war making machine, man. Pentagon, DOD is Department of Defense, all five, six branches now with the Space Force. And then the VA is the Department of Veterans Affairs uh, that was started, oh man, put me on the spot, World War One or civil, whichever after which war. The country's like, look at these dudes on the street with amputation. Oh, my God, nobody's taking care of them. Somebody should. Here's a government entity to do it. And now it's just exploded into a behemoth. Here's what breaks my heart about the VA. The Veterans Administration assumes a veteran's lying. Whereas other in entitlements in this country, they actually, oh, yeah, you, you can't work or this or you got kids. We're throwing money at you. But a veteran has to prove like right now for the rest of my life, I have a high pitched squeal in my ears. I can when I meditate, I am I'm never in silence. It's a high pitched squeal. It's called tinnitus for the rest of my life. Flying jets for 15 years, my back for, you know, pulling nine G's and everything. It is it's just it's debilitating. 
the VA. That's not service related. Like, what? Denied. You have to fight tooth and nail to prove your disability to the VA. I mean, is there really that much fraud that veterans are like trying to squeeze? And, and I, I didn't apply to it. I don't need the money. It was actually just the, 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 the rightness of it, right? Like when my tonight, I'm like, this is maddening to me. And they're like, nope, not service related. I'm like, oh my God. So I could see how some young kid, some staff sergeant would go sit in a parking lot and put a gun to his head. The government that trusted you, top secret clearance or this, or, you know, trust you with all this stuff now doesn't trust you at all. You're a liar. We don't believe you. How about we start with you're right. And then if we find out later, you were lying about all this stuff, we're going to come down on you like a ton of bricks. So whereas in other parts of our government, they'll believe you hook, line and sinker and throw money at you for veterans. It's a court. It's literally a court case. You need to go and it's awful. It's awful. And it's heartbreaking. I gave up. I gave up. I, bro, I, I can't even imagine the amount of stress, trauma, emotional wounds, fear that was forced to be suppressed. Correct. Doing what you did. And the fact that 22 veterans take their own life every single day, and there's another 60,000 of them that are living in the streets. The streets. And that's just in America. There's probably some in other places too. Oh, God, yeah. Is absolutely disheartening. And let's talk about, first of all, before you found the medicine, was there any moment in your life when you came back where you were close to taking your own life? I've had, uh, I could probably count on one hand. Yeah, probably one hand. The number of dark nights of the soul. Bathroom floor, fucking drugs, uh, alcohol, separation from my bride, my kids, my God. Just so the very long answer, short question. Yeah. If it wasn't for my bride and my kids faces, I wouldn't be here. There's no way I would be here. So, uh, I skipped along a bottom. Oh yeah. I was, I was, I was a flat new call sign flounder. I was a bottom feeder, man. I went through, uh, yeah, it's just some incredible dark nights of the soul. Absolutely service related, but also life related. Uh, when I told you I, I grew up in, you know, South Jersey, Irish Catholic kid, we were that family. Irish, you know, church, I was an altar boy. Not only did I go to church on Sunday, but I did like two more masses as the altar boy. I mean, you didn't get more Catholic than us. Uh, and when my my brother and my two sisters uh, were at Villanova, uh, they were all at a fraternity party one night. And uh, my brother, John, and, and my sister, Malin, are like, hey, we're going back to the dorms. And my sister, Monica, is like, hey, I'm going to catch a ride with these guys. All right. Five people in a Fiat. The guy blew a stop sign, and she got thrown from the car and broke her neck. And uh, at 19, destroyed my family, destroyed my faith in God. Fucking God kills my sister, 19-year-old sister. Broken neck. Should have seen her in the casket, man. And uh, my dad, it, my parents were never the same. They were never the same. So I lost my faith, right? I'll tell you a couple times flying jets over Iraq or trying to land. Flying jets over Iraq was boring. Trying to land aboard the aircraft carrier after a mission at night in bad weather, low on fuel, Started to find a little bit of my faith again, especially, uh, you know, my sister, my, my guardian angel, uh, Monica. 
But I carried that for decades, the that trauma, the loss of my sister and my dad. My dad died 65 of a broken heart. He was fit. He was, but he, he never, uh, I played sports in high school. So I'd miss the bus, you know, after high school, my dad would pick me up most of the time and between our home uh, and the high school was a cemetery and he stopped every day and he got out and he cried. He stopped every day and he cried. Um, so I carried that into the military, right? Cause you don't sit in a military interview. Like you're great. Aren't you? Yes. Not like, well, you know, you're, you know, you want to serve. So I, I hit all of that type of trauma and then you add 16, 16 or uh, a couple that were friends, but not really good friends. I'll say 16 core dudes and one girl dead, no combat loss. These were all training. Wow. Watched a buddy of mine die on a night catapult shot off the Lincoln jet went straight into the water. He doesn't even know he's dead. So memorial service after memorial service, it's just, it's just another box, right? Another box, another box. And pretty and most soon of those happened. Most of those happened during training. You ready for this? So before you go to Iraq or the, before the ship goes on its mission, you got to get ready to go on your mission. So you spend like a month on the boat. Then you go out to the desert and drop bombs. Oh, you forgot how to land on the boat for a little bit. Go back and brush that off. So you're, you're gone more getting ready to go than when you're gone. I remember like my third wedding anniversary, I'm sitting there with Susie and she's like, that's some words you never want to hear. Do you know how long we've been together in the past three years? I'm like, uh, I think she said it was like four months, like cumulative. But during one of our workups on the Abraham Lincoln, before we went to Iraq, we lost eight, eight aircrew, eight pilots and aircrew before we even left. So all of that shit took a toll. So when I started this foundation, I was carrying around personal trauma. Uh, the drugs, the alcohol, the military trauma. I was not a, I was a very well-functioning, high-performance machine that was rotten to the core, just rotten to the core. I could put on a good fucking act, man. I was on fumes. I was on vapor. But God's, God's always right on time. Yeah, you're probably at times crying on the inside, but of course you couldn't really express that in any way externally i'm curious to know like yeah if you could do your best to take us in your mind during one of these missions or you mentioned landing it's super dark you're low on fuel yeah when literally your life is on the line yeah so they did a study in vietnam they wired up a bunch of navy fighter pilots getting shot at by surface air missiles dog fighting another MIG, none of it. The heart rates, they were elevated for that shit, but landing aboard the boat is it. Because if you're going to be a flaming ball of wreckage, you're going to do it. <laughs> it's going to be because of you. Now the deck might be moving and there's all sorts of invariables, but at the end of the day, before you go flying in a fighter jet, they give you a big book with all the maintenance and everything that's done. The last page is a blank, name, signature, and date. You own that airplane. That's $65, $70 million with your name on it. So you are totally responsible for everything that happens with that machine and as a result of that machine. So that's, you know, I was in my mid to upper 20s, man. <laughs> I was 
fucking kid, right? And the the, the responsibility is is awe inspiring. In, in in my book that you'll read, in one of these chapters, I almost started World War Three. I was uh, getting ready to fly a mission into Iraq, but when I got airborne, the there's there's a piece of equipment that the radar looks at that says, "Okay, you're a good guy," and you you have to have that to go in. We call the box Iraq on the map. We're like in the box. And I got airborne. They're like, dude, you're, you, it's bad. Just go overhead the ship, mother, go overhead mother and hang out until they all come back. Right. So I'm like, sweet, free flight time. Don't have to go over Iraq. So I go over, uh, overhead the ship at really high altitude to save gas. And in the Persian Gulf from that altitude, it's a lake. There's Iraq, there's Iran, there's Saudi. It's, it's literally like a lake. And all of a sudden, I forget my call sign, Hobo, Hobo 401. We need you to investigate a contact coming out of Bushir you know, zero nine zero for 30 miles. I'm like, Oh boy. So Bushir is a joint use Iranian airfield. So they have civilians in there, but also military jets. And they, the ship told me there's a, a contact that just got airborne. It's flying right at the ship. I'm like, Oh shit. Put my mask on. And I'm like, now I got to get serious. So I start, you know, descending downhill and I start going right at this airplane. I lock him up. He's at low altitude and he's heading right towards the ship. I'm like, again, trying to slow down. It's a, big Iranian helicopter. And I, as I go past it, there's one dude in it and he just kind of looks at me and I go past him and there's a big ass box in the back. And I tell the boat and I tell the carrier, I'm like, Iranian helo, one dude, big crate in the back. And he's 10 miles from the aircraft carrier coming right at you. I'm like, and then I heard this over the radio, stand by, stand by as Navy for, Oh shit. <laughs> we don't know what to do. So I'm like, stand by. So I, you know, I, this guy's now I can see the carrier and I can see the helicopter. He's going right at it. I'm like, this fucking bomb. I'm going to be responsible for it. So I go right behind this guy and I lock him up with an aim nine sidewinder missile. Wee, big tone in my head locked. You can see it right in on the display. And I go master arm on. So this guy is, that away from death. I just have to squeeze that and that guy disintegrates. So I'm like, holy shit, man, five miles. I go to the boat. I'm like, say intentions. They're like escort, which means just go with them. And I'm like, holy shit, I'm running. So you're asking about mindset. Now you're going through 8 million things in your head. He's going to fly right over the boat, detonate a nuke. You're going to be responsible for 5,000 sailors dying There's and the sinking of an aircraft carrier, 5,000 personnel shit. on that boat. And I was actually getting to the point. I'm like, if that happens, I'm just going to, I'll go attack Bushir <laughs> and then kill myself and just fly the jet into the ground. I'm not going to, so you're a million things like that going or just shoot him, just shoot him down. And then, no shit, man, he flies right over the carrier. And I'm like, kind of, I think I subconsciously like kind of turned my head away or like from a blast. And then he kept going. And then like two miles past the ship was an oil rig and he landed on the oil rig. I'm like, like you know, pull out a lucky strike at that moment, right? <laughs> you know, filterless cigarette, like, holy shit. So there you are, 27 years old. If you had smoked that guy, you probably could have started World War III. But, you know, it was so. And then go try and land on the boat after. Now, now you're all you're all sorts of frazzled. So that's the type of shit that you're dealing with. Wow. And then you wonder why when we pull into port, we go out and break a ton of shit or, or, or the alcohol, you know, takes effect. Right. Because you got to if you can't blow that shit off. 
you're gonna you, you'll blow, you'll explode right so you have to numb yourself in some capacity massive numbing required and obviously the elixir for fighter pilots back then or maybe even today was was the booze man and being an irish guy myself i'm just not a good not a good drunk man <laughs> so this is probably okay first of all how close did you come to pulling the trigger and and taking down that iranian oh it was no it was I, 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 the, my finger was on the trigger. The master arm was on. All it was, was that, and I was going to do it. I, I but I, so I, you know, I kind of pulled my, I, I went back to strategic, right? I knew I was in a very tactical situation, like, holy shit. And then I'm like, wait, before each flight, the intelligence folks on the aircraft carrier, give us a brief, like here, here's current real world situations. So at a higher level, nothing really recently had been, you know, soup, they're always saying death to America and all that shit, but there had been no really escalating things going on. So I'm like, this could be a, a Pearl Harbor. This could be it. This could be the day. But I'm like, I don't think so. So I put the master arm back off and I just said, shit, man, God, <laughs> I give it up to you. Um, but no, he was, and, and it's weird because, you know, I landed and I told my commanding officer, I'm like, Skipper, man, I was going to smoke him. He's like, you probably should have. I'm like, what? He's like, you, you would have been right technically, but you would have been wrong and your career would have been over with. They would have court-martialed you and everything, but you would have been, that probably would have been the right call. I'm like, thanks. <laughs> in, in that position, correct me if I'm wrong, like your priority is to protect your fellow men, right? And keep them safe. So taking them down and pulling the trigger I'm confused as to why that would lead to you getting dismissed. We weren't, we weren't in a state of war. I mean, I, 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 now I turn into the JAG officer that would prosecute me and I could see exactly what they'd say and they'd be right. Right. So it, it's that type of stress at a young age in a military career where you have those type of decisions and nobody really teaches you how to handle it. Now that I'm clearly out of the Navy, I can tell you that, Hey man, you know, our wives would send us big bottles of scope and they were Captain Morgan, right? You're not allowed to drink on a ship. It's, you know, you'll be court-martialed. Well, guess what? After those type of missions, man, or a night landing where you can't, I mean, after a night landing, you are so hopped up on adrenaline. Because imagine it, it, the inside of a basketball. It doesn't get any more dark. And in the Gulf, all these little oil platforms have what? You know, they're burning the methane or whatever it is. They, they're all, so at night, coming to try and land, you have stars and you have those things. They all look alike. Wow. There have been times where I've looked down at something, I've looked up, and I'm like, I have no idea if I'm fucking upside down or not. So you got to get on the instruments. I mean, there's, it's, it's the, the night land, day landings were fun. Night landings, I'd throw my mom in the cockpit, man. They were, they were terrifying. So sprinkle one of those type of missions with having to make those type of decisions with a night landing at the end of it. And it, it'll, it'll, it'll age you. It'll age you prematurely, right? <laughs> So it's fucking nuts, bro. I can't, <laughs> like I'm literally like, I can't even process that. You know, I yeah. sometimes, I sometimes can't decide like what I'm going to have for dinner. <laughs> and you're out here, you're out here deciding do I take down yeah. this other human in this helicopter Correct. to potentially save 5,000 people yeah. or do I let it go and potentially <laughs> get ridiculed for not doing that? And it's well, like, no, it's that wasn't, lose, that wasn't going to happen. Because I was actually going to kill myself. There was no way, if that was an attack on the ship and I let it happen, I was not going to go land in Saudi Arabia or Kuwait and be like, oh, geez, my ship blew up. 
There was not going to be a me. I yeah. guarantee you. Yeah. There was no way in hell. No. I, like I said, I would have gone down in a blaze of glory. I went, to, uh, yeah. Isn't that crazy though? But that's the flow. That's the, the matrix that uh, I was flowing through, man. And it was as a fighter jet and pilot, things are moving pretty damn quick. So you got to make snap second decisions. Thankfully, most of them have been, I'm sitting here. So they're, they've been right. <laughs> before we, before we start talking about your journey with the medicine and the profound impact that's had in all areas of your life. I'm curious to know as when you, when you were still active mm -hmm. and you would have those brief periods with Susie, your wife, mm -hmm. how would that time usually go? Like how would you potentially be able to even downregulate your nervous system to be in a state of like connecting? So whoever made this saying, they got it right. Absence makes the heart grow fonder. So every time I'd come home, uh, we were newlyweds. It was great. It was great. She, uh, I mean, my first cruise, now I'm really aging myself. We didn't, there was no internet, man. So How old are you? 53. Wow, you look fucking <laughs> phenomenal. That, that's the medicine, man. That's, and trying to say, well, as a fighter pilot, you had to be, you know, when you're pulling eight, nine Gs, you know, the blood's trying to leave your head, right? So your, your legs and your abs, you got to squeeze to try and stay conscious. So you got, you had to be in pretty good shape to be a fighter guy. And when I get out, I'm like, well, I'm not going to let myself go, but, uh, getting home, man, uh, was, was a good thing. Right. So you could connect it. It wasn't all the time easy because the wise get into, we didn't have kids at the time, but they get into the routine. If you're gone for six, 10 months, you know, the kid, everybody gets into the routine. Here comes dad again and drop and, and it can be a little disruptive. So they actually have on the way home on the aircraft carrier classes, like reintegration, getting to know your spouse again, type of classes. Um, but yeah, on the first cruise, we actually, you had to wait for mail and my wife would actually in the top left of the letters, like number them. So I wouldn't get them out of order. And she'd put her perfume on the letters and stuff like that. And then the second cruise we had internet and which actually, to be honest with you, was, a it's a little too much connection, right? When I was on the ship in Iraq, in the Persian Gulf, I was gone, right? And I get some random letters and I, I loved it and some brownies or a care package. The next cruise was like, well, you know, we got to note that the, the yard wasn't mowed, but I can't start the mower. And sh it kind of degraded the combat effectiveness of the ship, to be honest with you. You can, there can be too much closeness. I think once you make a decision to, to go, and, and to do something and get the mission done, you got to really stay focused. So love, there is in today's military a little bit too much. I guess we could debate that if it's good or not, but it, I, it wasn't good for me. But long answer to your short question, it was easy to reconnect with Susie because she was, she was a gift from God, is a gift from God. And it was great. And about the time you got to a point where it's like, oh man, all right, now we're, now we're kind of getting into a rut you're leaving again. <laughs> so it, it always kind of, it kind of kept it fresh. It must've been so challenging though. So hard. Like, because once you start to build that closeness and attachment, it's like, all right. So I'm before leaving. the, the, uh, before I got to the, my fleet squadron, the crews before that, one of my good buddies who did that deployment, he came back, you know, you fly in, you do like all 12 airplanes fly in over the hangar and all the wives. It's like a cool event, right? You fly off the carrier and we're home and everybody runs out and you hug and stuff like that. And his wife wasn't there. 
and uh, he went home, and the house was empty. Yeah, Sean Clark, Moose, big spiked hair, but Moose came home to a uh, to nobody. So there are. It's it ain't all. I would again, my wife's a gift, uh, but it, it's that, that being a military spouse is tough. So when we get to it, Susie actually did the medicine too, because 99.9% of her trauma is whiz inflicted. And she went with Navy SEAL wives. And guess what? I mean, those guys are real. I'm dealing with bad guys at 30,000 feet and they're at three, right. three feet or three inches. So uh, a lot of the military spouse trauma is, is spouse inflicted. Unfortunately, let's, let's start to transition now to the experiences with the medicine and the breakthroughs that you had, because I think this message really needs to get shared with the masses. As soon as I heard you share on that stage on Saturday, I was like, yeah. I'm making sure that you and I build a friendship, yeah. brotherhood. I'm making sure you get on the pod ASAP. Um, so just walk us through kind of your life before you discovered the medicine and kind of take us through that that yeah. journey, the breakthroughs mm -hmm. and integration work. Yeah, man. So I'll, I'll correct you out of love. I didn't, it, the medicine's always been there. I didn't find it. The medicine right. found me, yeah. right? The medicine called to me. Uh, so just, just wasn't the best husband, tried to be a good dad, just some shitty times in my life, the alcohol, the drugs, leave from all the trauma and swirling around in a cesspool of what I thought uh, wasn't a good person. <clears throat> and around that time, <clears throat> I'd started my Veterans Foundation, and uh, uh, I, I found out about a Navy SEAL and his wife uh, who did psychedelic-assisted therapy. She was at the end of her rope. They were at a memorial service for one of his brothers who killed himself. She looked at him and said, he's next. She was going to take the kids and leave, and she had been do doing some research into psychedelic medicines and trauma and PTSD and uh, TBI, traumatic brain injury. And uh, Veterans Day, I think it was 2017, she put him on an airplane to Mexico. And she, she didn't even know she'd see him again. And he came back and she says, when he got off that plane, I had my husband back. I'm like, what? That's bullshit. So I met him in Dallas. They run a great uh, veterans foundation called VETS, V-E-T-S, Veterans Exploring Treatment Solutions. And I gave them, uh, I gave them some nice donations because my foundation, I'm like, I, I just couldn't figure out how to help guys and gals stop killing themselves. And they're like, this is it. I'm like, whatever. They're like, what are you doing in a couple of weeks? I'm like, nothing. Like, you should do the medicine. I'm like, I'm not that fucked up, man. I didn't know how fucked up I was. This is still 2017? This is, no, no, no. It, it, that was them. This is like 2021. This is like okay. a year and a half ago. Okay. So... They're like, we have a very eclectic group going down in a couple of weeks to do the medicine. We think you should join them. And uh, I said, who? And they said, well, Marcus Luttrell, the lone survivor. If you've read the book, Lone Survivor, uh, or, or you've seen the movie with Mark Wahlberg, you cannot call yourself an American if you don't know who Marcus Luttrell is, in my opinion. You have got to. The guy goes into Afghanistan with his four Navy SEAL brothers and comes out alone. And then the largest loss of Navy SEAL life was them trying to rescue him. Don't talk about trauma, that dude. So they're like, Marcus Luttrell's going. Uh, and then Jared Taylor, JT, he's one of the founders of Black Rifle Coffee. Great, 
great group of guys, an NFL player. Uh, and then also another Navy SEAL who was a teammate with Marcus. We think you should go. I'm like, thank God, you know, in hindsight, thank God it was, wasn't a ton of time for me to research because I had no idea what I was getting myself. I started, they have a good integrate or, or pre process, couple calls with some counselors, blood work, uh, you know, getting your intentions for the medicine, getting your questions for the medicine. I'm like, Whoa, this is, this was, this was training for a combat mission. This was, this was, I'm like, wow, changing the diet. If you were on meds, they were going to step you down. I'm like, man, this is all right. So man, we get down there and, uh, we're supposed to do ibogaine, right? So uh, iboga is a root from, Central Africa. They actually believe it's the tree of, it's from the tree of knowledge. Right. Uh, and I'm reading a great book right now called the immortality key that just kind of blows the doors. You know, it's about the religion with no name. Mm. When you think about the Eucharist or the wine, I can tell you that is all psychedelics, man, from the Greeks and Eliseus. But anyway, tangent. So we get down there. Iboga has 15 alkaloids, the actual root, but for Westerners, it's like eating dirt. I mean, it's, it's, it's brutal. And I found out, and I've, our director of medicine operations at our foundation, uh, Nicole Fox has done Iboga. It's a two, three day journey. You are in and out of the medicine. So Ibogaine is a derivative of Iboga and it's got one alkaloid. And that was, I mean, that was an ass kicking enough. But, uh, so I get down there and I meet these guys, man, Marcus and JT and, and I actually drove. So you meet in San Diego because again, folks, this is, these are schedule one drugs, according to a guy who wrote that, right? The schedule one means there are no therapeutic uses and there are no, uh, and a high risk of addiction. I'm like, whoever wrote that is an idiot, right? God, God love them. Absolutely therapeutic. And there ain't no way you're getting addicted to Ibogaine. But anyway, so and let's just, let's just, let's just before I, I don't mean to interrupt, but sure. let's just continue that statement by emphasizing the fact that a lot of these medicines, psilocybin, MDMA, LSD, I'm not sure if Ibogo was in there as well, were literally breakthrough therapies in the 1950s and early <laughs> exactly. 60s, yeah. right? Change psychiatry and mental health. It, yeah, exactly. And of course, when you start to think about pharmaceutical industries and the monetization of medicine in America, yeah. they literally criminalized nature. Yeah. Something that God gifted us for a very divine purpose. Correct. They made it a schedule one drug, yeah. which is absolutely criminal and asinine. Yeah. Continue. Imagine the hubris of man. God puts these medicines on the planet for our, for our healing and our use, and we make them illegal. They've been here for thousands and thousands of years. They have been in use. And then, well, it was Richard Nixon, right? In the in Vietnam, all the folks that were using these and actually seeing that, why are we, there should be no war. I mean, we're, oh, you know, anti-war. You guys, it's, you know, anti Oh, You're not patriotic. Not, not patriotic. How dare yeah. you preach love? Yeah. How dare you revolt yeah. and go against the societal stigmas and narratives? Yeah. 
How, how dare you not want to die for some bullshit reason, right? Oh, it was, it's awful. So you're right. The, the, the schedulization of that was one of the biggest crimes uh, in this country. But it, Richard Nixon and, and the war on drugs, man, it was, it's, it's been a horror. So that the ship finally is, is we can talk about it, but that, that's starting to turn, thank God. But uh, so you meet in, in San Diego and you drive down to Mexico uh, just south of the border. And I went down with the NFL player. Four-year All-American at Iowa. Uh, eight years, Raiders, Patriots. I mean, this dude, in the car with him, I felt death. He just looked like a horror. And I had done some research on him when I heard his name and when I saw a picture. I mean, he went to college guy and, and you can just see the his head trauma, just his, the repeated, the head, the CTI, right? The traumatic brain injury. So he had heard about this treatment. Hey, Navy SEALs with concussive explosions and maybe I could go do it. So he and I rode in the car down together. I bring that up because I saw him months ago at a veterans event in, in, uh, in San Diego. I walked right past him. He's like, Wiz, what are you doing? I'm like, well, it took, he's, he's a different human being. He's, you can see it. You can see the Holy Spirit. You can see God. He is from head to toe. He's clean. But anyway, so wow. we get down to Mexico, man, and Friday night, uh, and they do a drug test and a urine test to make sure you're not on anything when you get there to make sure. And it's half clinical and half spiritual. Half clinical meaning they do an EKG when you show up. You're actually uh, hooked up to an EKG on the medicine during your journey. Uh, there's a cardiologist there, and there's two nurses throughout the night. But half holy because the play it's just it's you're not in a doctor's office it's a four-story mansion overlooks the pacific you can feel like the holy spirit in the house i mean and based on the healing that's gone there i think it's like gone into the walls mm. it's really cool and a lot of the stuff you're going to hear from me say right now five years ago me if you heard me talking like this would kick my own ass i'd be making fun of me right now so just always remember that as, as i talk about any of this stuff but that guy's dead and he died on a bed in Mexico. So we do like a fire ceremony. What do you want to get rid of, man? Mm. Right. And we do this little fire ceremony and we went around the room, did the fire ceremony. And then we took the medicine, the Ibo, uh, the Ibogaine. How do you take Ibogaine? <clears throat> it's just it, doc, you know, he weighed us and everything like that. And it's just, he put the Ibogaine in it like a you know capsule and it's just okay. like that. So we took the Ibogaine and uh, went upstairs and uh, you're all in the same room. Right. It's all, it's this big master bedroom and the mattress It's funny. Cause Marx is like, Hey man, as soon as we got there, he's like, why the mattress is on the ground? Well, you find out pretty, pretty soon. It's kind of hard to stand up. Um, so there's five mattresses in the room and I'm next to JT and the other guys are on the other side. And, uh, the briefing was pretty good. They said, when the medicine starts to come on, it might sound like bees. And I'm like, well, that sounds weird. But when I was lying there and of course the whole time, and you have eye shades, the two guys that didn't put the eye shades down, man, Marcus and JT, they got their ass kicked. I'm like, whoop, and I'm down, man. I saw but that in the documentary, <clears throat> by the way, that we'll, we'll reference in the show notes. You guys have to watch this. Yeah. The, uh, so eye shades down. And just so everybody knows, this is, you're not asleep. Uh, you're, I was, uh, my journey was about 12, 14 hours. You're wide awake at any time you put your eye shades up. I'm in a room. There's the guy's type of thing. But when you, this entire movie that I got to experience, you're wide awake, but the bees thing, I'm lying there. And all of a sudden I start buzzing 
And I'm like, oh, I get the B reference, but it didn't, that didn't make sense to me because you know what it felt like to me? And I, I had to look at my hands. I'm like, am I shaking my entire being? I was still, I mean, I was rock steady. Everything was vibrating. And I realized it was a frequency. Like I was trying to tune in. It was like an old radio dial, man. And then once I got where I was supposed to, apparently it started. So it was incredible. <clears throat> and then there's so much I can brief you about the journey, but I'm going to hit the high points because there was a, the, the intro was, it was a brief. It was God saying, check out what I've made, check out all of this. When I got home a couple of days later, I told my wife, I'm like, we don't, I don't have to go anywhere ever again in my life. I've seen it all. I saw, when I say I saw everything, I'm not shitting you. I saw everything. Um, can you tell us, can you tell us what you mean by when you say you experienced infinity? I will. I absolutely will. So at one point, I, all of a sudden, just in space, right? It's funny when a couple of weeks ago, the, the images from the web telescope came back. I've, I saw that. I was, I've been there. I've actually been past there, right? So I'll, here's what happened. At one point, I'm just in that. And it felt, it's not scary. It's comfortable. And I look up, kind of like that light, man. There's just a big fucking white light and energy. And of course, I'm like, okay, that's got to be God, right? Oh my, it was just, it was, it felt, it was incredible, this light and this energy. So of course, I'm like, are you God? And there's no, there's no, God doesn't use words. God speaks through energy and the music that was playing was such an integral part of my journey. But when I said, are you God? I got an answer. And if, yes. And I just, it felt like I just kind of, it was the most peaceful feeling I've ever felt. So doubting Matthew has to reattack and go, um, well, can you give me a sign? And I shit you not, around this massive white light in cursive writing, the word sign kind of appeared and went away. And I just, I exploded again. And then I kind of laughed a little bit. I'm like, God's got a sense of humor. And that's pretty, that was pretty fucking funny. I mean, it was, it was like, okay. It literally went around the word sign. I'm like, holy shit, man. So then I said, well, where have you been? And he said, I've always been, and I've always will be. And I'm like, yeah, but, but, but where have you been kind of like lately? He's, where have you been? I've always been here. You've been a little lost. And I was like, wow. And then I got stuck into a loop with God. I said, no, okay, this is awesome. But who made you? And this whole journey, God was incredibly, the, the med, on the, it's patience. If you don't get something, you'll get it. So God said, I've always been and I'll always be. I'm like, no, 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 you're not listening to me. Who made you? I mean, how's this even? I've, he was patient one more time. I've always been, son, and I'll always be. I'm like, no, one more time. And then all of a sudden, I literally got lifted up and I exploded into forever. I felt it. I felt infinity. I felt exactly what he said. It, she, he, what God said, he, he's like, boom, this is what I mean. And I felt it. 
It was the most incredible. It's, it's the best analogy I could use is if you took a caveman, put him in a time machine and dropped him in a time square for an hour and then brought him back to his cave. There's no way he can describe anything. He's first of all, he's got no words to do it. Right. And he, he draw, he's, that's how I feel right now. I can't explain what I felt, but God answered it with this. So I felt it. So that, so for my journey, it felt like God had me literally like, like his son. And it was like a camera and we went through my life, the future, all sorts of stuff. But let me share with you the most, one of the most healing parts. At one point, my sister Monica appeared and she was beautiful. Never as I, more beautiful than I remember her. She was just angelic. She was right there. And I'm like, oh my God. And then my father, like right with her, both of them. And I had not seen him happy. I can't remember the last time I saw him truly happy. And I, and I was at peace. And then pixelated is a bad word, but they went away. And it was a horror. I'm like, no, don't leave. Do, don't leave me. And they went away. And I'm like, I'm like yelling. And they came back. And they looked at me and then they started going away again, but I followed them this time and they went into everything. They went into me. They went into the trees. They went into the, they went into you mm. and it healed me. They didn't go anywhere. They never left and they're still here. And it was incredible. Three, four decades of trauma gone, literally scrubbed. In, the, in an instant, it was incredible. My sister kind of came back, and then she did the same type of thing, and she went and stood right behind my daughter, Keely. Mm. And I was like, oh, my God, no, 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 is she going to die? And I got, no, it's this healing that my daughter was also, it's, it's also a little bit of my sister. Mm. And it was incredible. It, it, that, it was the, it was the most incredible, one of the most incredible experiences of my life. And it, it was after that, uh, just some of the, there were some horrible things that have happened to me in my life and got, things that I went in with the intentions. I did my brief, man. Here my questions that God looked at me with a couple of those things. Like you were worried of that's forgiven son. I love you. Right. There's a great book called a course in miracles. Forgiveness is an absolute foreign concept in heaven. There's no need for it. Forgiveness is a human thing. We need, we, we have this forgiveness thing. God had to reaffirm that to me. Like some of the shit I carried in there, he's like, it was just a look or a, from God going gone. It just, it went. And it was kind of like, it was not, not that God can be sad. It was kind of like, God was like, I can't believe you, you, you need this, but here it's gone. Let me take that heavy fucking backpack of shame, regret, drugs, alcohol. I got it. Mm. Drop it. Now let's go. And let me show you the good work you can do. This is incredible. That's so mine, eight, 10, 12 hours of healing of, of incredibleness, right? On the, oh, thanks. On the, uh, on the, uh, Bed next to me. Let those tears come. <laughs> Marcus and JT 
sounded like they were getting cut in half by a saw. Wow. And I'm lying there going, am I going to get my ass kicked? You know, what's, what's happening? And the next day, they called it gray day. We called it a gray day. The counselors called it a discovery day because you're just, you got hit by a, what happened the previous you got day. hit by a fucking truck driven by God. And you're, you take the day on the couch, you sleep, you nap, you all cry, you talk. But anyway, Marcus and JT were like, we're doing this again. I'm like, wasn't that you guys getting like destroyed? They're like, never felt better. Some of the shit, I'll personal stuff that I won't share, but they, that's, they got exactly what they needed. Mm. Right. And it sounded like they were getting their ass kicked and they did. And it, they dropped, they dropped Everett's Marcus and JT, JT, the shit that they, whew, but it, to me, it sounded like what the things they explained that they saw or had to do were pretty fucking dark, but they, it actually wasn't because it ended up being healings, right? So that's why I hate when people say, oh, I've heard people have had a bad trip. Oh, oh no, 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 no. There ain't yeah. no such thing as, as a bad trip. First of all, let me just pause for a second, man, and just acknowledge you for everything that you shared. <laughs> Again, I can't believe I'm sitting here. I mean, this makes... God, it's incredible because like, I'm joking, I'm not joking that years ago, there's no, there's no way in hell I could have fathomed my life taking this, uh, this direction or being an, even an advocate for this. But God, after experiencing it, there's no way this wasn't going to happen. Yeah. There wasn't a choice. God already had this, 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 or this preordained. Yeah. And one yeah. of the things that really resonates a couple of things is that the medicine always gives you what you need that's not exactly always what that. you want no. and that's what's Correct. beautiful about it right because oftentimes in life we're seeking comfort we're seeking validation or we're when trying it, to run away from something that this medicine will help me run away from it <laughs> well, those <laughs> things aren't medicines right those Correct. are drugs yeah they're gonna numb you right? yeah we those talk, are drugs yeah we, i mean Correct. You, you mentioned with your with your struggles with alcohol like Hundreds of millions, if not billions of people around the world who are attached and addicted to this toxic substance that has somehow been normalized because it's legal. Correct. That's okay. But this stuff, if, if you're familiar with the beginnings of AA, founder of AA, psilocybin journey. Yeah. That's what AA is based on. It's actually a psilocybin journey and, and we don't talk about that. And they wanted to implement it. He wanted to implement it, but he was afraid. They were afraid of the stigma Correct. that people would attach to it. Well, you're helping people remove their addiction from alcohol, but you're promoting this drug in the exactly. process. Yeah, yeah. When in reality- it's, it's a medicine. It's not a drug. God is a pretty good pharmacologist. These aren't drugs. These are medicines, right? And they're actually anti-addictive. As you know, the more psilocybin you take, the less effective it is. That's why I like microdosing, four on, three off, or two, you know, you got to, God's not going to let you keep hitting the, 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 that button. Just enough to make you centered, not enough to escape from your stuff. So the medicine is going to shine a big fucking spotlight on what you need to work on or what needs to be unhealed or healed. You know, my, my wife, she kind of said she had some darkness in her journey, but when she leaned into it, Mm. here's a military term that we use all the time. And, and maybe when you work with veterans and all your work, it's when I started doing yoga or breath work, you have to surrender. Don't say the word surrender to a military guy. 
we're not fucking so you know it's like nails on a chalkboard so i'm reading all this if you see darkness on the medicine surrender i'm like i'm not fucking do acceptance embrace the suck we call it in the military right so any darkness right it it because uh, as a guy you know marcus or jt fight if you see darkness in there we're like oh you know we're not going to surrender to the medicine what you resist persists <laughs> so if the more you fight that type of darkness on the medicine the more you're going to get your ass kicked yeah, until man. god's not gonna god's already knows what's going to happen like you're going to keep resisting and here's what's going to happen and then you're ultimately going to surrender so after the gray day um the next day sunday was the most incredible for an irish for a recovering catholic that sunday morning was the most incredible mass church uh, that I've ever attended. And I found God right here inside me. So the five MEO, holy shit, man. Uh, one of the few people to have this type of the, the look at experience. And I'll explain what do I mean? So we went one at, so, uh, Marcus went first upstairs and they separated us because, and it's a big house. So we couldn't hear what was going on. And thank God they, kind of separated me for mine. So Marcus came down and I went up next. We had cleared all the beds out. So it was only one and it was facing the Pacific. Beautiful. And they had a nice little altar with flowers and stuff like that. And it's what, it was just a beautiful setting mattress on the floor with a lot of pillows around it. I'm like, why is there a lot of pillows around the mattress for a guy like Wiz apparently? So uh, my guide was sitting to the left, you know, you sit like kind of crisscross, She's sitting to the left. Doc Martin, who runs the mission within, is sitting to my right. And then uh, Marcus Capone, not Marcus Luttrell, to Marcus. We actually call him, his name is Marcus Alphonse Capone. His parents say, yeah. So Alphonse, we'll call him, is at the head of the bed. So the five MEO uh, this time came in kind of a, a, a vape pen form. Uh, and they, good brief, you know, they had the eye shades up on your head, right? And they give you a handshake, dose to kind of get your body to acclimate to it. Uh, because apparently if you do a big hit of five MEO DMT, it could whatever, but so the handshake dose, um, was good. I'm like, wow. I mean, just an absolute peaceful feeling. So the Ibogaine is a 12, 14. Oh, the NFL guy day and a half. He was down. They, he was on an IV at one point. He came down for a little bit to just like, maybe try and eat a little bit. And he was back upstairs. I mean, he was down, when he was down, down, he was staying like a half purging and just, he didn't purge on his journey. The next day he was purging. Right. And so purging, he wasn't throwing up. He was purging. Cause I thought he was sick too. He's like, no dude. What? Of course, when he was came really back, he's like, no, that was energy, man. He's like, there was dark. He's like that. Every time I purged, I felt better. It's something I can relate left. to that. So, um, I go upstairs, I'm sitting there in the bed, do the handshake hit. And they're like, okay, you're ready. Breathe, you know, 10 seconds in and then hold it and then count to 10 or whatever it was before you and you exhale. And then we'll just kind of gently put your eye shades down and lay you back. So it took my inhale. I think I got to eight and that was it. When I went to lay back, there was no bed. I just kept going. And it was white. It was bright. So the, if on the aircraft carrier, when I, I go from zero to about a 170 miles in about a second and a half, two seconds, 
that was eight billion fucking times. I went from here and I exploded into ego. Everything died. I hate my medicine lady is going to kill me because I, I, I have to speak like me and then maybe yeah, yeah, you yeah. can figure it out. I died. It was death. It was ego death. It, it didn't have a, I could have put my foot on the brakes and there wasn't any, it, I, I literally, everything died and I went right into source. Mm. Truth, God, divine, whatever word you can't even make up, I exploded and became one with God, with source. That's exactly what it was. And it was peace and it was love. It was light. It was understanding. It was energy. It was perfect. Mm. It was bliss. So apparently I didn't want to leave. Right. I think there was a little, it ain't your time yet, dude. I'm kind of showing you. And this is why, let me fast forward doing studies on this with end of life care. My mom's a non-smoking stage, stage four lung uh, cancer. She had two rounds of treatment. I, 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 before I finish the rest of the journey, I'm going to tell you this right now. And you really don't want to hear this from a pilot. I have no fear of death now and not in a, I want to do it. Today. I just, there's no anxiety in it anymore. I can actually live. I've died before I died. So now I can live. I've, I don't want to die. I love my wife and kids. I want to grandkids and everything like that. But right now, man, if I got some horrific diagnosis, God forbid, or whatever, I am absolutely fine because I, I know exactly what's going to happen. I felt it. So that's, and it's interesting because on that gray day before the five MEO DMT, they're just like, right, right in your journal, man. I kept a journal and they're like, even if you don't even know what it means, I look back one of the, my chicken scratch, I'm like, who the hell wrote that? It says apostle. No idea what that word meant. And now I do. So what does it mean? I need to spread the word about this ah. medicine. I'm an apostle. I am. When I, when I got to be with source, that tinnitus for a good four or five months, my tinnitus was healed. When I became one with source, I didn't drink. Now I'm like a glass of wine with a steak type of guy. I was a fucking drinker. I didn't even eight months, nothing. Marcus and JT haven't touched a drink since the journey. Marcus is going to be a deacon. His wife, he's, went through all his Catholic sacraments in the past year and he's going to be a deacon in the Catholic church. JT, you look at JT a year and a half ago, Jared Taylor from black rifle, huge drinker beard. Dude hasn't had a drink since he looks like a brick shit house. Wiz, yeah. so wait, just let me get this straight. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. you're telling me that these schedule one <laughs> drugs exactly. actually helped heal their addiction to alcohol? Check out the, uh, the documentary called Dosed. Dosed takes a woman who is a horrific heroin addict. Ibogaine, that's Ibogaine. One, if it's too good to be true, it usually is. No, it's not. One treatment of Ibogaine can destroy, it will go in and destroy heroin addiction. So my alcohol, hell, dude, I was a coffee whore. I didn't have a coffee. I'm a coffee fiend. Now I've kind of tiptoed back into it, man. But the ibogaine goes in and control alt deletes everything. Marcus showed me his brain scans from the VA. Black, dark, gray. Three months after the ibogaine, it was white. He was on 10 meds at the VA. Three to wake up, three at lunch, these to go to bed. He was a benzo. It was a horror. 
Dude hasn't taken a thing since. So here's why I bring this up, because when I went, I had no choice, man. When I rammed into source, when I rammed into that light, love, God, truth, it felt like. So when you read the Bible now and you hear Jesus just kind of healed by touch or, you know, whatever, I felt that. I felt perfect. So. This is the Apollo 11 part of it, because apparently re-entry was pretty brutal. Oh, and they said, I, I actually transcended. They're like, we could see when you transcended. I'm like, what do you mean? They're like, you were in a V-shape on the bed, and your arms and legs were moving in perfect synchronicity. I'm like, that did not happen. They're like, oh, yeah. Cynthia's like, I've only heard of that happening. And, of course, they didn't film this one. We got a film crew down for the next one. But, no, they're like, you were on the bed. And your heart, you were, everything was moving. It was perfectly moving. I'm like, there's no way that happened. They're like, no, that happened. So after that happened, and this is, I'll, I'll tell you from both views. I had to leave that, that love and perfect. I had to leave perfect. That bliss. That bliss. And apparently squeeze into this thing. And there was still some shame or regret or there was just shit. Still, and I, I remember this part of it. I've never, I think the last time I screamed like this was when I, my, I heard on the phone my dad had died. I yelled at the top of my lungs just trying to force whatever was in here out. And I guess it didn't because they're like, dude, you took a big, and you got into the fetal position. You took a deep breath and you yelled louder and longer than the initial one. And I don't remember the second one. Because all I remember after the second one is hearing a couple breaths. Do and I'm like, what you screamed? Was it no, just, it was a yell. I mean, just, just a yell. Ah. It wasn't like any, you weren't screaming any message. No, or- it was just a, a guttural. I remember the beginning of the first one. I just, I remember, I did. When my, I heard my dad, I went right in the yard and yelled. It was that times a million. Mm. So... And as the second yells coming out, I, I, I'm gone. I don't remember. It's just, I hear a couple breaths and I'm like, that wasn't me breathing. Maybe I should take a deep breath. So I take a deep breath and I open my eyes and I'm facing the other way on the bed. And Marcus, Doc, and Cynthia are like, first of all, they're all crying and they're like really close. And they look, I'm like, and I'm great. I'm like, you guys okay? They're like, are you okay? I'm like, yeah. And I just start crying. I was, I've never been happy. Married day I got married. My three kids were born also happy. I've almost never been as happy as that moment. Mm. And they're letting me kind of get back to you take your time. I mean, they have a bowl of fruit since you had to fast. And that was the, that was heaven. It was like strawberries. I'm like, Oh my God. And they're like, they told me later, they're like, you know what you said? Your first words were, I'm like, no, they're like, this is what freedom feels like. I'm like, wow. And then they're like, you know what you said after that? I'm like, no, obviously they're like, you said, I can't wait to tell Susie. I love her forever because now I know what forever feels like. I was like, wow. But as I'm sitting there and I'm like, eat my fruit and I'm looking around, I'm like, how? And then now that they knew I was back, they're like, you flipped. Like, what are you talking about? They're like, you flipped. Like what? Apparently when I was in that fetal position and I, I, you know, whatever, they're like, dude, you literally just, you flipped it. I, I think I tried to flip into the pool when I was a kid and landed on my back. I've never flipped in my life 
and I flipped in that bed on the five MEO DMT. So I went from transcending and the way Cynthia, my guide, she's like, it was, I watched you be reborn. You literally were in a fetal position and then you just exploded out and you flipped. It's fucking wild. Okay. Let's, Here's the funny let, part. Are you ready for this? Okay. okay Cause yeah. they told us, so the Ibogaine, they're like, Oh, it's an ass kicking and shit like that. I was on my magic carpet with God for 12 hours. This, they said, is like the icing on the cake. I'm fucking up there flipping and screaming at the top of my lungs. So loud that, you know, I'm coming down the stairs and the next two guys are on the couches over there and they're looking at me. I guess Cynthia was behind me like, don't say anything. Like, because he thinks I didn't, I didn't know about the screaming or the flipping or everything. They're like, she's like, no, no, no. Because they're all like, what the fuck's going on, man? We hear him screaming at the, the top of his lungs and a ruckus up there. We were laughing at it later at dinner because they kind of, she hustled me outside like, hey, sit on here. Here's your fruit and here's your journal. But later, JT and those guys were like, dude, it sounded like somebody cut your head off and all we heard was a ruckus and all sorts of shit. So when you came down the stairs with this shit-eating grin on your face they were looking at me like the hell happened up there and they still had to go they're like what's we we thought the five meo was the icing on the cake and whiz is up there flipping and shit like that so that was two completely different medicine experiences the the ibogaine was a cinema and the five meo was the practical application of that god kind of fixed a bunch of shit and then you got to and i don't want to sound like a whatever you'd call somebody like this, a heathen or something like that. Like I, I was one with God. If you think you're separate, that's why there's, there's why we have problems, man. It's this, this thought of separation, the illusion of separation, the illusion of separation, reality. man, the five MEO shows you that it's, it's a lie. I actually got to enjoy oneness with source. If you want to ditch the word God, call it. There are people who don't even believe in the, the, the word God at all, who see a, a common on the medicine, you get, you see it. Yeah. Well, thank you again for providing us with absolutely incredible stories. Um, a couple of things I want to mention. First of all, one of the things that I've noticed during this entire conversation is you have a ridiculously incredible memory for, <laughs> for these details that happened years ago, decades ago. And I'm curious to know, did the medicine, because for me, in some of my past journeys, mm -hmm. um, ayahuasca helped me recall some of these suppressed memories from my childhood. That was absolutely That's incredible. Yeah. And I still have all of those memories intact two years later. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious to know if that... It, 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 if anything, the medicine made new memories, meaning I actually saw stuff when I was a kid, not from my point of view. I'd see me like with my dad or something going on and I actually got to see it from other people. Mm. So it's actually helped create new memories, but it did. It, it, when, when the Ibogaine goes in there and it literally scrubs your shit and you get a clean piece of paper, it, it, it did open up the pathways and stuff like that. Yeah. I, I'd agree with that. Yeah. And, and a couple other things too. I'm not sure if this is the case with Ibogaine, probably not just because Iboga has 15 of those active alkaloids. Oh and yeah. Ibogaine has just, just one. one. Yeah. But I've heard from friends who have experienced Iboga that it literally is resetting your nervous system and brain to basically what it was when you were a fetus. Correct. Literally. Yeah. Like none of that generational trauma that was present before 
is there anymore. You're literally a blank canvas. I there the, before I did the medicine, there was a lot of, you know, I'm like, oh, that's a little whatever type of medicine phrase. One of the things after doing the medicine, they were all true. Like the medicine calling to you, true. I read that when you do the medicine, you can heal three generations. You can heal three generations. I'm like, I read that sentence. I'm like, that sounds dumb. I saw my father and he was healed. He was healed. He was, it, it, my dad, there's no way in hell he even knew what the word meditation meant. My kids practice mindfulness. The fact that on the medicine, I think I got to be with my dad and help him heal. And now my kids, the fact that my kids even know about this is insane. So I think hopefully God, I have broken that chain of generational trauma because people do pass this stuff on subconsciously. It's not their fault, but this is, I don't know, you call it the fucking age of Aquarius or whatever it is. This is now with everything going on in the world from Iran and Russia and China. I mean, we are at an inflection point, man. And we got a fucking choice. Yeah. We're either going to do this or we're going to do this. And I think God is starting to say, Hey man, a couple of you folks need to wake up and start becoming that apostle and talking about this. The fact that, yeah, like you said, schedule one, are you insane? You ain't taking Iboga and going out and live, man. You're, you're, you are, oh my God. you're not moving for days. Yeah. And it's going to help you unfornicate why you probably want to go to live <laughs> all the time and, and party. Yeah. It is, th these are life changing medicines. It makes my skin crawl when I hear the term drugs. They are not drugs at all. Yeah. Heroin, cocaine, stuff like that. It will, it, it will knock that shit out of your system. I guarantee you it knocked, like I said, it knocked the, uh, the, the alcohol out of me and coffee. I was like, damn. And it didn't, it didn't even register with me. It, it just, you, you come back clean now real quick. I want to cover, and this isn't a sexist comment, but a lot of the wise that go and do the medicine. So my beautiful bride did, so they do an, a little MDMA appetizer followed by a psilocybin. I think she did six grams Oof. because uh, the doctor believes that the ibogaine is really good for either addiction or head trauma, TBI type of stuff. So with the females, he, it, that's not totally true. There are some uh, females that go through the ibogaine down at his center, but net net, if they don't have super horrific trauma. So Susie went down and did a little MDMA appetizer, then the, psilocybin, and then they did the 5-MeO the next day. I bring this up in the sense that 5% of the medicine work is on site. And I read this beforehand. I'm like, that's dumb. I feel great down here. 95% was the integration. And the manual nailed it. My first 30 days after the medicine, they call a pink phase. That afterglow. I'm at a stoplight crying at the red because it's beautiful. Like who made the stoplight? And this is fucking fantastic. We all agree to it. I mean, just like 30 days of, uh, it was insane love. Next 30 days weren't so good because I'm like, why isn't everybody well, happy or, you know, the last 30 days, you know, 60 to 90, I found my happy zone. But when I came home, it was not easy on my wife. Um, you come home as Superman. God literally cleansed me, scrubbed, you know, all the shit that I had done was forgiven. And my wife being a good Navy wife and she's an awesome human being. She's like, okay, yay for you. <laughs> 
What about me? 99.9% of her trauma is probably as a result of me and my shit and my not being a healed and healthy person. So she, after a couple months, it, it was tough. It was definitely tough being a, Hey, why are you still upset at some of the things that I've done, man? Did, let me tell you, let me show you it, it, This is what happened to me. And again, she's like, yay. And she tried to understand. She's like, but again, I'm the caveman coming back from Times Square trying to talk to her. And she's kind of like, fuck, I believe you and everything. And you look different. You, oh my God, you're not even having a glass of wine. I'm like, no. So she decided to go step into the medicine uh, as well. And she went down with a couple Navy SEAL wives and stuff like that. And maybe we can have her on to maybe talk about the female point of view. I don't want to steal her to. thunder. I would love to. Because the spouses are... Uh, uh, you know, definitely from a female perspective, it, I think it would be cool to talk to her too. Shanti, what time is it? Okay. Oh, geez. Sorry about that. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, the reason, the reason I was asking is because I definitely think, I definitely think I want to do um, a round two with you at some point. Oh, I did the medicine again for the movie, No Fallen Heroes. So that's a separate debrief. You know why? So the first time, it was a, a, it was God giving me a brief and my guide, she didn't tell me this until after I did the medicine a second time. She's like, yeah, I don't know if I should have told you or not, but I didn't. She's like, anytime somebody like a, you has stepped into the medicine again, it's going to show you everything. Mm. You got what you needed that first time. But if you're going to help others, you had to have gotten what you got because you're going to need to help others. I'm like, shit, I should have seen that coming. But it, not, not that it was bad or I, I am, Almost more thankful for the second time I did the medicine than the first, even though that was, that changed my life. But God, if the first time I did the medicine, I got my wings as a fighter pilot, the second time was going to Top Gun. So that's, <laughs> that's the analogy. So, 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 so we'll foreshadow the next one. That, yes, yes, yes. And we're not, yeah. we're not going to wrap up this moment, but there's a yeah. couple of things I want to touch on. Sure. First of all, for those who are unfamiliar you know, um, like Wiz mentioned, Ibogaine is that eight to 12 hour experience, but for many even longer. Right. Yeah. And then the five MEO DMT is what? 20 to 30 minutes. They said my, 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 my break dancing and then my flip 10 to 15, the rest of the 40 minutes was me on the bed crying and just, I've never felt happier in my life and eating fruit. So it's a, it felt like forever. Yeah. And 10, 15 minutes in the medicine. Yeah. So, and, yeah. And the next thing I want to also just emphasize whenever we talk about these things, this is not medical advice. <laughs> no. We're simply sharing yeah. our experiences with these powerful compounds. And I think Correct. as you can, as you can see with the stories that Wiz is sharing, these medicines need to be treated with massive amounts of oh respect. Oh my God. Massive amounts of respect because you can see some of these transformational experiences. Like just imagine if you were to somehow do those things on your own and not be intentional about your set, about your setting, about really being diligent with the medical process and the whole integration process, which is like you said, 95% of this game is really okay. I have all these divine downloads. I have all these new tools and takeaways. Now it's time to actually integrate this in my day-to-day life. And that is where the real work comes in. And 
a couple other things I wanted to mention, and then we'll kind of, I will throw it back to you. Mm -hmm. Um, Going back to the purging, actually, actually taking it even further back to something you said. So many people don't pursue a path of psychedelics or plant medicine because they fear the bad trip. I hear this all the time with people that are hesitant to try mushrooms Mm -hmm. and understand the bad trips usually are referring to the trips where you experience darkness, Mm -hmm. where you were facing some of your past emotional wounds and traumas. And now you actually are being given (laughs) the opportunity to face them, to heal them, to overcome them rather than run away and numb yourself from them. And yes, that can be scary. Yes, there's going to be some pain involved, but ultimately that pain is going to lead to massive amounts of freedom and healing. Mm-hmm. And no, you nailed it. That was beautiful. The, it, it, let me help because some of the guys like the Marcus or the JTs with the quote, bad parts that ended up being good parts. I've never heard in all my medicine, like I'm some shaman a year and a half, but it feels like a long time. You don't immediately drop into shit. The medicine actually gives you a good warm up and shows you that you're safe. Right. I've never heard of anybody going like straight to hell in their type of thing. No, the, it kind of, so any darkness that does come up, you usually are comfortable enough. Like it did for Susie. She's like, everything had been kind of, she's like the dark, the things that I saw that I, and the girl, the girls that went with her, they're like, yeah, we noticed you a couple of times. You kept like moving your head. She's like, I kept trying to look away from the bad, but kind of like me and it being a camera, like a movie camera, ultimately God or the medicine wouldn't let you. It's like, no, no, no here and then uh, oh once you lean into that darkness once you put some light on it man you recognize that whatever that was wasn't that bad and i had some other bad shit in my life as a child that uh, bad that in the light i actually felt was forgiving uh, of some of some things it actually flipped it around after four decades of of horror and trauma, I was actually the, the forgiver. Yeah. So, th- th- yeah, going into the medicine, I'm like, oh, if that's, and it starts. So on the Ibogaine, a red face appeared. I'm like, oh, shit, here it is. All the bad trip type of stuff. And it went away. I'm like, well, that wasn't that scary. And then it came back like it hurt me. I'm like, oh, fuck. And it went away even more. And I had this overwhelming sense of peace, like nothing is bad. Like we have evil in the world, man. In Miami, Vladimir Putin, we have words like evil. And I remember getting cracked on the knuckles by a Catholic nun because they taught me what? Well, Adolf Hitler, if he repented on his deathbed, he can go to heaven. I'm like, so this guy that killed 6 million and Sister Mary Catherine, yes, Matthew, moving on. I'm like, no, no, no. But this guy, yes, Moving on, crack. There's a soul, right? Even the most evil people that were in some of my childhood problems, they're they're a soul. The the evilness came from this, man, this shell around us. At the center of every human being is a soul. We can define them as evil. We have to as human beings, right? We have to have laws and shit like that or else it's fucking anarchy. But at the end of the day, if you can get through and and burn through somebody's layers and see that they have a soul, 
ain't no war, ain't no hunger, ain't no poverty, man. I become a, it's, here's what's sad. It's not sad. It's happy. So Daniel Carcillo, Chicago Blackhawk. He was a Flyers uh, and he played Blackhawks, Stanley Cup champ two times. Lives, uh, he, write this down. You guys have to have him on your podcast. He runs WeSana Healthcare. Okay. On the Blackhawks, his best friend on the team, Steve Montador, um, young guy, they became best friends, 15, 16 concussions in the NHL. Team doctors, here's some Motrin. You're fine. NHL doctors. Hey, man, get back out there. He died in his sleep. Devastated Daniel. They cut his head open. CTE, man. The guy was dying. So Daniel, two-time Stanley Cup champ, Blackhawk, height of his pinnacle career. His call sign is Car Bomb. You watch some of his videos, man. He's a he's fucking greatest guy in the world. He got out of the NHL, and now he started a company. where He's using, like, MDMA therapy to help trauma. He lives right up uh, in Jupiter. He'll you got to have him on here, man. Daniel Carcillo, Stanley that. Cup guy. Well, we, I got a suite at the Panthers. I'll, we'll all go and watch some hockey too. But he and I are really uh, good friends now because he sees the head trauma and, and uses MDMA therapy as well. So just another example of somebody, uh, I was going to the point of like veterans kind of leading the way. If people can kind of look, if they look up to us a little bit, well, maybe they'll look up to an NHR, NHL superstar as well. Here's why I bring him up. Because after I had him on my podcast like a year ago, we went to the beach club up in Boca and we're sitting there. And I told my wife and kids about it. They're like, oh, my God. Because when we lived in Chicago, they were massive Blackhawks fans. I'm a Flyers fan from Philly, now a Panthers fan down here. They're like, we're going to stop by and pretend to bump into you. I'm like, just come on. you know. So they come to the beach club and they're like, oh, hey, what are you doing here? I'm like, sit down. So they're you know freaking out and they meet Daniel because they're all very big fans of his, his. But he's sitting on this couch and... It's like the sound of music. My wife's sitting here and the three kids lined up, like sitting there. I'm like, this is weird. But anyway, he's still asking me questions about the medicine. He, I think he had done ayahuasca in Peru, so we're comparing notes. And then out of the blue, he shifts from me and looks at my family and goes, is he different? And as the word like different went from his lips across, I had a, a pang of terror, like, oh my God. And then I felt okay. But when it landed... They all kind of looked at me like a little scared. I'm like, well, well, fuck. And leave it to my daughter, Keely, the brave one to speak up. She's like, he's better. And I was like, fuck, he's better. And that's all I needed was right there, man, was, was her validation. He's better. And that just, that was awesome. He's a great dude. Yeah, he's. I'll, I'll hook you guys up. He's a great American. Another guy I want to introduce you to, his name's Cody Shandraw. He, he's a partner at Ambury Cap, uh, Capital, young guy like you, a uh, go-getter. They invest in the psychedelic space. Um, Shandra? Uh, Shandra. Shandra. Yeah. He's, whoa, 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 these guys are both two dudes. Yeah, the, the, the NHL connection, you definitely got to talk to, man, because sure. he's the guy that recognized in himself, like his best friend died, and he's like, I'm, I can feel me going. Yeah. And now he's he's a huge advocate for uh, for player safety, obviously, as well. He actually had to sue the NHL. Because at least the NFL is playing a little bit of lip service to all the trauma, but the NHL still isn't on board yet. So he's a great American, great Canadian American. <laughs> um, fuck, man. Wiz, first of all, I just want to acknowledge you, man. You are. It's awesome, man. I love, I love talking about it. You're just an incredible human being, and you're an incredible, genuine hero. 
who no, sacrificed so that. much to to really allow us to experience our freedoms every day and just your willingness to be open and receive the call from the medicine and just become a better man, a better husband, a better father and and heal some of that generational trauma and just create yeah. a brighter future for you and your family, man, is absolutely incredible. Dude, thanks for having me. Again, I'm I'm no, I don't think I'm anything special, man. I, I was just another dude, lucked out being able to fly jets for the Navy, man. But uh, the fact that I've been allowed, I've get, it was a blessing. I don't like, this is my own negative connotation, kind of like with the word psychedelic, uh, Bible beater. I'm no Bible beater, man, but Whatever I, whatever that was, I experienced. I prefer uh, God. I, I, I have got to tell people, and that's just that's not me. That's that that is. I am a completely different person. And using the terms "born again," I don't want to use it in a pejorative sense. But if somebody can tell you that they completely changed their lives from from a destructive path they were on, dude, I got a I got a new lease on life. And the only reason was because God put these plants on this earth for us to be able to heal. So I, I give it all up to God, my beautiful bride and, and my family, man. But I appreciate it, bro. Thanks for having me on here. Of course. And where can people dive deeper and connect with you and yeah. find this book? Yeah. And find uh, all your other. Yeah. From sea level work. to sea level is a book I wrote about it. It's all business applications, right? So when I left the Navy and then went to, uh, uh, to the corporate world, man, like debriefing after a fighter mission, we went into a room and we ripped each other to shreds to get better. Cause if we don't get better, we die in the business world, you know, after a launch or something and, Oh, that sucked. All right, let's go on to the next thing. I'm like, Whoa, stop. We're going to get into a room and we need to debrief what worked and what didn't. It's like, Oh my God, that's brilliant. I'm like, that's brilliant. <laughs> what do you see? What else I got to lay on you from the military? So that's what that's about. But if you really want to track down what we do, uh, go to nofallenheroes.com and uh, we're doing a documentary. So after I did the medicine uh, with, with the guys, I got four, cause this will, this will blow your mind, man. Most aviators, when we get out, what do we do? We go to be an airline pilot. Like we talked about and most aviators, what I have to do to the FAA, I am fine. I don't have tinnitus. I don't have PTSD, depression, or anxiety, because if you do check one of those boxes, you ain't flying and you don't have a career and now you're homeless and broke. So there are tens of thousands of airline military pilots out there who are living. I have an F-16 buddy, airline captain for American whiz. I've been in therapy for 15 years and I pay cash because I don't want a money trail for uncle Sam. Me, I don't give a shit. I own two of my own fighter jets up in Pompano. I'm going to take you flying in one of them. Go up there 500 miles an hour. No fucking way, bro. AGs. I, yep. That Put sounds- it on the calendar. We're going to get that on film, too. We're going to film him pulling eight Gs, man. Maybe six or five because I'm old. But uh, so for No Fallen Heroes, I actually took four other fighter guys down to Mexico and did the medicine. One of the guys... Uh, was cleared hot in Afghanistan to drop on some bad guys and ended up being 12 civilians. Completely destroyed them. Drugs, benzos, whiz, I've had a gun in my mouth more times than not. Slider is fucking reborn, a new machine. Doug Stas, Doug DeStasso, was going to be a general, man. Air Force Academy grad, general. He's on a mission in a big MC-130 spy plane. He unstraps to go check out something on the navigation table and they jink to getting shot at. They bounce him off the ceiling and they break his neck out of the air force to the VA 15 benzos. They turn him into a drug addict from being a general. He did the medicine lean, clean, 
God machine now. So we filmed that journey and we are currently in production filming their integration. So it's called no fallen heroes. Uh, cause none of us look at ourselves as a hero. We always look at somebody else as a hero, right? My dad was my hero, my mom type of thing. So no fallen heroes means we're going to show people that healing is possible. So if you go to nofallenheroes.com or check us out on Instagram and just kind of support the message of it, right? This is, this is all I could ask for is being able to talk. If one person listening or watching this, the medicine calls to them and it saves them or even changes them. The, the, the exponential order of that healing is fucking fantastic. I know we've already saved some lives because people have reached out and gone and done them. I get texts, I get emails. It, it's, it's overwhelming to me, the goodness that's coming as a result of this. So thanks for giving me the, uh, the platform to, to spread the word, man. I appreciate it. It's hard to, it's hard to uh, end this conversation, but I'm confident we're going to have a round two very soon. Cause yeah, there's man. literally so many things on this note sheet that we didn't even get to, but <laughs> exactly. Good I'm point. so grateful bro yeah. to have connected with you at this divine in time. between now and the next one, we'll take you flying so we can show some uh, clips of you. Maybe we'll, I'll get uh, my buddy fly as an L 39 too. Maybe we'll go out and do a little dog fighting too. go out and do a little Maverick. That sounds fucking terrifying <laughs> and also also pretty fucking exhilarating so we'll, we'll definitely make that happen deal um appreciate you bro love you bro yeah love you and too man thanks for having me man let's eat something good yeah all right perfect Fight thank song. you so much for listening watching yo real talk if you listened up until now chances are you probably got massive amounts of value you were impacted in a way that touched your heart resonated with your soul and emotions just show appreciation by reaching out to Wiz, checking out no fallen heroes we're linking all of it into the show notes and really 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 take a moment to just appreciate this life that you've been gifted and tell the people that you love that you love them because this life is fragile it's precious and make every moment matter much love fam everybody Talk soon. See you next episode. Thanks for being here. Peace out.